What are you looking at? Amen. How many of you have ever been asked that question? What are you looking at? Amen. <laughs> Sometimes, depending on the context, that could get you in trouble, couldn't it? Amen. What are you looking at? What are you focused on? What are you placing your attention on? What are you observing intently? Amen. book of James tells us if we look into the, the Word of God, the perfect law of liberty, and we're observing it ourselves intently, amen, that we can make changes, right? That's a paraphrase. It says if you don't, you walk away unchanged. But your focus can determine your results. Your focus can determine uh, really even your efforts. Your focus and what you're looking at and what you're observing can be the difference between success and failure. It can be the difference between being hurt and being successful in something. What do you mean being hurt, Pastor? Well, I remember you know, when I was, you know, I've lifted weights a couple of times, amen, and I know that when you do squats, one of the things they always tell you to do when you do squats, and I'll go ahead and put this little plug in, if you only did one weightlifting exercise that would give your body the absolute most overall strength improvements, squats is it. I read an article one time called Squat, the King of the Lifts. Over 600 muscles in your body are utilized when you're doing squats. Okay? The most beneficial single lift you can do, it will give you leg strength, it will give you low back strength, it will give you core strength, your stomach muscles will be stronger, your shoulders and uh, your shoulders are going to be strong because you're using your shoulders to stabilize the bar on your, on your shoulders. 600 muscles are brought into it. Unfortunately, because it works so many muscles and because it is such a, the, the lift that it is, it's also the one you can get injured on most frequently. You let the bar get you. And so the trick that I was taught when I was in high school and started lifting weights and squatting was was that when you squatted, you kept your back straight, your your shoulders back, your back straight, and you picked a spot up on the uh, high up on the wall or on the ceiling, and you kept your focus on it. Why? Because where your head goes, your body will go, right? And if you're doing squats and you're squatting down like that and you're keeping your your back straight, your shoulders back, and you're squatting and you're looking at that one spot. You're keeping your head in spot. It's keeping your back in line. Where if you start squatting and you get sloppy and you're going down like that and you start getting tired and hanging your head and you're looking down, next thing you know you're staring at the floor up, up close and personal if you ain't got racks, if you're not lifting a safety rack with a bunch of weight across your neck. Why? Because where your focus goes, that's where you go. Amen? And so it's very important that your focus... That we be focused on what God has said, the vision that God has given us. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to read to you out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come and not delay. Amen. The Lord speaks here to the prophet about the vision, about the vision that the Lord had given him and tells him uh, that he needs to write the vision, make it plain so that it's easily, easily to be run with. And so the vision, God is reemphasizing the importance of vision. You must have vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Amen. You understand, one translation says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint and are destroyed. Do you understand that if you have a vision in your life, and when we say vision, sometimes vision uh, vision and goal are sometimes synonymous, but if you have a vision in your life for something, it determines your pursuits, it determines your purpose. If, you go, if a person goes to college and they say, you know what, I want to get a college degree and I want to make dean's list every semester. Amen? How many of you all know that if you make that as your goal, then that determines some things that you're going to do, right? It determines, okay, yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to go out and hang out with the boys, but you know what? If I study, i got a hard test coming up on Monday, and if I spend some extra time on it, then I'm going to pull the grade, right? You're going to make the grades you want. When you've got a vision and you've got a goal, it automatically, and I've said this before, it sets priorities in your life. It says what's important. Amen? Remember, men, when you were dating that pretty little thing you're sitting next to? Amen? And you had other things, and your number one goal began, I'm going to win that girl's heart, and I'm going to marry her. Amen? And you remember there were other things that when you, when you decided you set your goal, you had a, vi- you had a vision of y'all standing up in front of the church, exchanging vows. Amen? 
Some of y'all have visions of stuff a few hours after that. Amen. <laughs> and it's all right. Praise God. God gave you that vision, that desire. Everybody's looking ahead. Not me, Pastor. Not me. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah, we know. Praise God. Amen. But you understand that, that because you had a vision and you had a goal, <clears throat> that it caused you to set priorities. If that sweet little thing called you up and she said, Hey, you, you know, I don't have to work tonight or I got off work tonight. Or, you know, you want to go do something? And the boys called you up. Guess what? Boys found out where they were at on the totem pole, didn't they? You know, sorry guys. My little woman called, right? And so you, you prioritized and you placed your priority. You made her the priority, right? Amen. You made that your priority. Well, you know what? That's another thing that it points out is that when we have a vision, you know, it's very easy. It is very easy to tell what somebody's, what really someone's vision is focused upon. You want me to give you the tale? Here's the tale. You can tell what someone has a vision for because that's what they're passionate for. No passion, no vision. Amen? Boy, that makes it real plain. To, when you don't have a, when you're not passionate about something, that tells me you don't have a vision for it. There's very few people here, I believe, that, have, that are passionate about your work, right? Amen? How many of y'all just go to bed on Sunday night going, ooh, man, I can't wait to get in the office in the morning? <laughs> that probably ain't happening, is it? You ain't going, man, I can't wait to roll out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning and go and open them doors. Woo! Can't wait. Right? Why? Because there's no, because something that you don't have, that you don't, you, you have the vision of providing for your family, but when you go to the meeting and they're talking, I bleed, you know, I remember when I worked for Pepsi, I had a supervisor that said, man, you cut me and I bleed Pepsi Cola. I mean, he was full, he was sold out to the company. Man, whatever the company said, he did. Boy, it was, you know, I'm Mr. Pepsi Cola, you know, my underwear blue with a little Pepsi ball on the front of it, right? Uh, he, you just thought, and it was so funny because his, his total career with Pepsi lasted about 18 months, I think. Somebody asked him on the way out, somebody met him by the fence and said, you still bleeding Pepsi? <laughs> Amen. Well, I mean, you know, he had some passion about it. But you understand that when you're passionate about something, when you got a hold of the vision of something, you're passionate about it. If it, I remember, you know, probably about 12, uh, 13 years ago when I had let my weight get out of hand. I was, man, I was passionate. I had a vision about what I was going, where I was going to lose weight, where I was going to get myself to as far as losing weight. And you know what? I was passionate about it. And I lost 125 pounds in 18 months. Because, why? Because I had a vision and because I became passionate about it. And, every, and why? This is the thing. The vision set priorities. Priority wasn't sit down and eat half a pizza and drink a big slam, a one liter big slam of Mountain Dew and eat half a quart of ice cream. Why? Because it didn't line up with the vision. Why? And, and so you understand that just having the vision, it sets priorities. And it says, not gonna have this, we're gonna do this. Your body says, boy, it'd be good to just sit down in front of the TV and eat a bag of potato chips. And the vision in your spirit says, get your lazy tail up and go walk a couple miles. Go do something. Huh? Go out and burn some cow. Oh, the, all right, your flesh wants me to shove some potato chips in that hole? Get up and walk, boy. Go lift some weights. Go do something. Burn some calories. Your body wants... Why? Because the vision's there, and it produces a passion, and that passion makes you set priorities. And things that are not contributing to the fulfillment of the vision, you cut it off and you don't pursue it anymore. Right? You, it sets your goal. And so God knows the power of vision. Amen? If, how many of you ever heard? I remember... You know, when I was uh, in college and my classes in, in international studies, they talked about in diplomacy. How many of you know what they mean when they say the carrot or the stick approach in diplomacy? The carrot or the stick approach, okay? The carrot or the stick. The carrot is you tie a carrot on the string and hold it out in front of the donkey and try to get the donkey to want to come after the carrot. The stick approach is you take the string off the stick, you eat the carrot yourself, and you whack the donkey with the stick to make the donkey do what you want. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's an analogy and talking about international relations and diplomacy of, you know, can you entice, entice someone to do what you want them to do or do you have to use force? Right? How many of y'all know that sometimes if you want the, the vision, you want to pursue the vision, you've got to find out what works for you. Find out what works for, you know, for you as an individual. Does the carrot work better for you, or does the stick work better for you? And use it, and, let, and ask God to use it. You know, sometimes God, God, you, God, 
He is a gentleman. He won't do things in your life that you don't ask Him to do. You know, if you don't ever ask God, God, make me more passionate about the things of God. Help me, God. Help me be more passionate about you. He's not going to just make you. And you've got to set your mind on those things, right? Amen. But amen. The Lord said that, but the Lord knows the power of vision and knows that people have to have vision. You know, people are desperate to be a part of something. People are so desperate to be to fit into peer groups, to fit into different things. People, you know, why do people join gangs? They want to be a part of something. It's crazy. I was watching a show this uh, the other night. Uh, uh, how many of y'all ever heard of that show, Whale Wars? You ever seen that? Or was it on the Animal Planet or something like that? Whale Wars. And it's about these, you know, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of tree huggers at seas, what I call them. Amen. <laughs> you know, tree huggers, sea hippies, something like that. And they're going out, and they've got these boats. And and Japan has whale fishermen that go into the uh, the South Sea, and they and and for I think they said I think I caught this just in a couple episodes that there's like a 100 day uh, whaling season. And so they go down, and I think the Japanese government has said they'll, they, they set a limit of a thousand whales per season to be harvested. But these people are going out, and they've got their boats, and they've got a little helicopter and all stuff, and they go out and they harass these Japanese fishermen because they say, I don't know, they say the Japanese fishermen are violating international law, a, a moratorium on whale fishing. And so these people are going out. And they're and they're just and they take that hundred days and they go out and they and they put their lives in jeopardy. I mean they'll put their they'll put their ship in head-on collision courses with these Japanese fishing boats that are a lot bigger than them, try, hoping that they're going to put on the brakes. <laughs> I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how well brakes work in the water, hoping that they can slow them down. Well, what's your point, Pastor? Why are you telling us about this? I, you know, I was actually rooting for the Japanese fishermen. I'm like, y'all are not heads. They're out there trying to earn a living, and y'all thinking, yeah. I mean, you realize what the point is, is that those people, they, they want so desperately to belong to something, they want so desperately to be a part of something that in their mind they think's changing the world. And do you think those whales care that they're out there risking their life to save a humpback whale or whatever kind of whale it is? Those whales don't care. Those whales don't care at all. As a matter of fact, I'd like to just ask them, I'll say, wait a minute, y'all believe in this whole Darwinism thing? You believe in evolution? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in evolution. I just be like, well, no, let me ask you something. If man can kill, do you believe survival of the fittest? Oh, yeah, I believe in survival of the fittest. Okay, well, if you believe in survival of the fittest and you're sold out evolution, you believe in evolution, you're sold out believing in evolution, why do you want to stop man from killing whales? Because aren't we just thinning out the weaker species? Amen. That's a, little, that's a completely whole side note, right? But the point is, these people are so sold out They'll go out with, some of them are volunteers. They don't even get paid. And they're willing to go out and risk their lives and put their lives in jeopardy for almost, uh, 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 almost over 25% of the year, over a quarter of the year, just to belong to something, just to feel like they're accomplishing something, just to feel like that they're making a difference. People have a desire to be hooked up with a vision and to do something and to be a part of something that they feel like they're investing their life into that's significant. And God knows that people are how powerful a motivation that vision is. Even people that are working for money, amen. How many of you, you know people, man? They'll they'll man they'll work it for that dollar. If there's a bonus to be got, if there's you know if there's you know if there's a commission to be got. Man, they're going to work it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But guess what? They're, you're not working for money. People are working for what they can get with the money. Why? Because they got a vision. They got a vision of themselves on that pontoon boat. They got a vision of themselves on that, you know, that saltwater boat that they're wanting to get. They got a vision of a bigger house. They got a vision of a car. It's not the dollar. It's the thing that the dollar can get them that motivates the person because they've got a vision on the inside, whether good or bad, but vision drives people. It is the most powerful motivator that there is on the face of the planet for people. Amen? And God told the prophet, He said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Amen? Anchor Faith Church of Aldosta, we have a vision statement. And we've written it down and we've hung it on the wall for people to look at. Ignite the city, impact the nation, influence the world. Amen? That's our, that is our vision statement in a bolt-down condensed version. To ignite the city. Amen? You understand that we, that we are part of impacting a nation and we're part of influencing the world and there's going to be more of that to come. But, but our immediate thing is to ignite this city with the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? That's the gospel that Jesus preached. 
Amen? Or are we still passionate about that? Are we excited about that? Do you remember the first time we heard the message back in February and it was just a complete paradigm shift where it, you know, glory to God, where's that been all my life? Where's that been? And we were excited and we were stirred and man, we had to make sure people knew this and that we shared that with folks. We had to, you know, we, we, we need to get that passion back. We need to get stirred back up. We need to realize that this church and the message that is preached at this church is uniquely different than what's being preached in most of the churches in this city. Okay, there's some things that we're all going to be preaching the same, right? You can go to someplace else and you can hear a message about how it's God's will for you to prosper and God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing and so you can minister out of your overflow. You can go someplace else and hear that. You can go someplace else and hear that it's God's will to heal you. You can go back, you can go someplace else and hear that, that God, that after you get saved, you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost and you need to speak in tongues. You need to. I don't go soft on that. That, that's the gospel. Like Paul told the Ephesians, he said, I did not withhold from you the whole counsel of God. Amen? If you, you, people might say, oh, well, Pastor, you know, I believe in that baptism of the Holy Ghost and stuff and everything, but, you know, I ain't got it. Then you need to get it. Because it is just, I mean, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't, you know, something that was, you know, it, it, this isn't, this isn't God's plan a la carte. Where you take what you want, leave what you don't. Amen? It's a package deal. Jesus, when his, when, when he was raised from the dead, Jesus spoke to the disciples and he told them, he said, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's over in John's Gospel. Breathed on them after he'd raised, that he met them, they were gathered there in the room, he met them after his resurrection, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well now, obviously, it takes a little bit of thinking. Sometimes you've got to piece some stuff together, and you've got to follow what the Word says and piece some stuff together. Okay? If, and then later, Jesus told him, he said, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So obviously, when he breathed on them, they didn't get baptized in the Holy Ghost, right? Because he wouldn't have told them to hang out in Jerusalem, right? Well, what happened, Pastor? They got born again. Why? Because the new birth wasn't even available until after Jesus rose from the dead. Je, you know, Jesus, and this is the thing. Jesus didn't go around preaching, I'm going to die on the cross to redeem people from their sins. We've told you this before. Check it out. That the only people, Jesus did not preach to the masses, I'm going to die on the cross and redeem you from your sins. He, toward the end of his ministry, the last, the last year of his life, the weeks and months leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus discussed it with his disciples in private. That, he, that, the, that the Bible's, pro, that the scriptures prophesied that the Christ would be crucified and that he must pay the, pay the, for the sins of the people. Okay? And so when Jesus, and you understand this, nobody was ever born again under Jesus' ministry while he walked the earth before he was crucified. And so, and what, and what does the Bible say? We, we've taught this, we've mentioned this, we've drove it in, and we're going to get a hold of it. We got a hold of it. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9, you know, that, those scriptures, it talks about, it says, if you confess with your mouth, make a covenant with your mouth, that Jesus, the Word, is the supreme authority, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so those disciples were in the upper room. Jesus appeared to them. He had preached to them that he was going to redeem them from their sins. This is the thing. They already made a covenant with their mouth. They'd already confessed that Jesus was Lord. They already, you know, he was the Lord. He was their master. He had walked with them in the flesh for over three years. They believed in their heart. And when he was there, man, they certainly believed that God had raised him from the dead, didn't they? He's standing there right in front of them. Hey, hey, y'all, I'm here. That's hard to deny. And when he breathed on them, they got born again. But then he told him, he said, stay in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Amen? Notice that, that, that he, told, he didn't tell them, now go on out and preach. You're born again. Go out and tell everybody how good it is to be born again. No. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. Tarry here. Don't do anything till you get endued with power from on high. Amen? And they waited there, and we read over in the book of Acts how on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit uh, fell and filled the room where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of them began to speak in tongues and prophesy as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And, that's part of, and that is part of the vision that God's got for the church, is we teach that, we preach that. I don't back down on it. I'll take you through every instance in the book of Acts where people receive the Holy Ghost and unapologetically and without any exception, every recorded incident in the book of Acts where people received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Every place. So what are we going to base what we believe on? Are we going to base what we believe on? Where, well, you know, Pastor, I've seen people that got hands laid on them and I, believe that, I just believe they received the Holy Ghost, but they didn't speak in tongues and prophesy. So what are you going to base your belief on? Are we going to base our belief on our experience or on the Word? 
Amen? I'm going to go with the Word. And if I believe something in the Word, you say, oh, Pastor, haven't you ever believed something in the Word and it not happened? Yeah, but I'm going to start looking at what I believe. Was there something I did that short-circuited it? I'm not going to start basing my theology and what I believe based on my experience. Because then you just may as well take your Bible and throw it in the garbage and let's just make up all kinds of stuff based on our experience. Huh? But the vision, part of the vision of this church is to teach people. You must, men must be born again. People must be filled, people are to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If we are going to fulfill the, the great commission, the way and, and the purpose and the means that the Lord Jesus intended for us to, then people need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. No exception. And don't tell me, don't tell me why well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, but I don't, I've never spoken in tongues. Amen. You're not filled with the Holy Ghost the way the Bible says. And this ain't the thing. It's not putting anybody down. It's not, guess what? You can be. Anybody that's born again can be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And you understand this? It's not just so you can go, ooh, I said Shondai one time. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. It opens a whole other door, a whole another dimension to Christianity. To, well, really, I, like I said, I don't even like Christianity. To the believer's walk. Amen? It gives you access to walk in the same kind of power that Jesus walked on upon the earth. He'll reveal things to you. The Holy Spirit, He is the, he is the believer's advantage. Amen? He is the Spirit by which you cry, Abba, Father. Amen? Praise God. But you understand this. I'm going to read this again. The Lord answered and said, Record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads may run with it. For the vision's yet for an appointed time. It hastens toward a goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. You understand this? God reveals His plans to His people by visionaries, or we we can call this keepers of the vision. How many of y'all know that God, he, when God wants to do something, when God wants to move, it's all through the Bible. Say, oh, I just believe God can speak to you. Yeah, God can speak to you about things in your personal life. Amen? You can be a covenant partner of a church and God even speak to you about something to share with the pastor. And guess what? If, if, if it's really God, then it's going to bear witness with the pastor because God don't do things through a church that he doesn't, that he doesn't reveal to the pastor. I know some of us don't like to hear that. We like to think, well, we're in America. This is a republic. I get to vote. My, 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 you know, my say counts. If I can't get my say, you know, in church, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the, the ramp page at the Valdosta Daily Times because I got a right to be heard, bless God. I can say what I want to. My opinion counts. Well, you're in the kingdom, darling. We ain't in a democracy. We ain't in a republic. We're in the kingdom. And you understand that that doesn't mean that you don't have input. But it just means this, that if God reveals something to you, then it's going to bear witness with the visionary or the keeper of the vision that God's put in place. And it's going to, and because you understand this, it has to line up with the vision. There are some things that this church are going to have, is going to have in common with lots of other churches. Amen? And this is where, we, you know, you need to guard yourself against this. Some people get so fed up, you know, you know charismatics are, are, are notorious for uh, being... Uh, weary of and not liking tradition and not wanting to do have anything to do with anything that looks like tradition. And sometimes something new will come. And, and remember the excitement that a lot of people had when we were meeting in the hotel and every morning, you know, we'd have to get up six o'clock in the morning and set up stuff and have service and we'd break down and load it all back up. And there was a sense of excitement because it was different than what a lot of people had been around. You know, they were used to going in, here's the church, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and here's the people, right? That's what they were used to. Well, you understand that something, you know, and so sometimes just something being different than what people were used to, the logistical side of something being different would make people excited about stuff. I mean, and sometimes, you know, and I'm just not a real gimmicky person. I'm not a person that I, I don't try to, I don't try to build a ministry. I don't try to build a church on gimmicks, you know, and, and, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but you know, just some places you do what you can to reach people. You understand? But some things are, are standard procedure. You know, you all got to have some place to sit, don't you? I mean, we can get rid of all the chairs and we can put cushions in the floor and all sit Indian style if we wanted to. If we just want to do something different, right? I mean, but you understand some things just, are, some things are just convenient the way they are. Do y'all need a place to sit? I need a place to stand. I need some place to talk. We need some place to do stuff out of, right? You understand this is that, but that God gives a vision to a man and it doesn't matter. The building, the wrapper's insignificant. The wrapper's insignificant, the building that it's in, the color of the carpet, the wall, whatever, that's insignificant. It, we need to be making sure that the vision is what you're hooking up with. 
that you that you really you people. It's not even to get people to hook up with Pastor Brian Adkins. It's not. It's to get hooked up with the vision. Because time goes on long enough, God could tell Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian goes someplace else. Time goes on long enough, Pastor Brian could, could graduate to heaven. You understand? Many years down the road. But that's not the thing. It's not about getting hooked up with a person. It's about getting hooked up with a vision because the vision doesn't change. People change. How many, there's, you know, people, people change and God will move people, God will do things, but you understand this, is that the vision is what God sets in place because God knows the power of the vision to motivate people and to do things. And so God places in the body, and they're, they're, you know, the most frequently observed one in the body will be the pastor. The pastor will be the visionary. The pastor will be the one that is the keeper of the vision. God gives the vision to them. And well, what are the duties of the keeper of the vision? Well, here's some of them. The first one is, the keeper of the vision is to receive the vision from God. Amen. It's not something you come up with yourself. And you know, I didn't throw a dart at a map and say, oh, Valdosta, that's good. Huh? We prayed. Pastor Shia and I, we prayed for a year. God, what, you know, where do you want us to go? We were beginning to have a vision for a church, a vision for what God wanted us to do. And you understand this, is I had to seek God. You see, you see, the keeper of the vision doesn't just come up with their own idea and then take it to God and present it to God and say, God bless this. You've got to get God's vision. And, so, and that's in your life individually too. You need to get a vision from God. God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to... You understand this. Even stuff like, God, how do you want me to spend my spare time? Because you know there's, the world's, there's lots of hobbies. There's lots of hobbies that you can get involved in, you know? I know I know some pastors personally that love golf but will not play it because it takes too much time. Amen? Because it takes too much I mean, how long does it take to play eighteen holes? Four or five hours? I mean, four hours if you're good, five if you lose as many balls as I do, and you gotta spend time extra time in the weeds looking for them. Right? <laughs> and so, but you understand, is that the keeper of the vision, he's got to get the vision from God. He's got to get the vision from God, not make up his own thing. Amen. And the second thing he has to do is that the, you realize this, the keeper does not have the right to alter the vision that God gave him. When God gives a man a vision for a ministry, for whatever, for whatever purposes, when God gives that, the keeper, just because you're the keeper of it, doesn't give you the right to change it. How about a zookeeper? Can he decide it would be a good idea to keep the lions in the same cage with the monkeys? Hey, you know what? They're both arctic animals. How about we stick the polar bear? You know, they're both bears. Why don't we stick polar bears and koala bears in the same cage or something like that, you know? What, what's the deal? The keeper, the zookeeper doesn't have... Why? Because he's just the keeper of it. He's the maintainer. The zoo sets the standard. The zoo says what animals go in what cage and what animals can get together and what animals can't. And the zoo And the zookeeper maintains the things at the, at, at, as the zoo, as the owners of the zoo, the administration of the zoo, wants it kept. Well, the keeper of the vision, he doesn't have a right to alter it. And I'll go one step further. I don't have, I don't have the liberty to change the vision that God's given us because someone will come to me and say, Hey, Pastor, won't we do this? If it doesn't line up with the vision, I don't have the liberty to change something. I don't. Because you understand, i got to answer to God. And if I've got the vision that God gave me for this particular church and for, for this particular body of believers, I'm, like I said, I'm open to suggestions. It's going to be something that's going to bear witness with me. And it, this is the ultimate measure of it. Does it line up with the vision? Does, it, does, it, does, does the idea, does the idea of an outreach ministry, does, does this, that, or the other idea, does it line up with the vision that God's given? And that's the ultimate, you understand, that's the ultimate litmus test. If it doesn't, we're not going to do it. And it's not because pastor's hard-nosed. It's just because if something doesn't contribute to the vision, I'm not going to allow myself to get distracted and get so many things on the plate that I can't, that I can't do it. I've got, to, I've got to stay faithful to what God's told me to do. So as the, as the, the, that's the first thing I have to do as a vision keeper. The second one is I have to present to the, the vision to the people. I, when I minister, I have to give you what the vision is. 
I have to give you the... You know, and I keep taking this back to February when the Lord said, if we'll get the children, we'll get the families. And there's going to be more stuff that the Lord's got some... I've got some ideas stirring around in my spirit and, and, and stuff. I just got to pray. But we, you know, we've got some more ideas of stuff that we'd like to do to reach out and, and minister to children, minister to their families, and grow this church. Because how many of y'all know that's a, key, that's a huge component of the vision of this church is to, is to reach children. There's a guy out in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, built a little church. You may have heard of it. Uh, a little church called Church on the Move. And he built that church. Uh, Willie George built that church going after kids. Now, some of you scratch your head and say, Pastor, I don't know who Willie George is. I've never heard of Church on the Move. Church on the Move, they probably run about 15,000 people. And he built that church going after kids. Church got money. He bought an old ragged out van, cleaned it up, and did some maintenance on it, cleaned it up, and sent it out and started hauling kids in. And then they got some more money. They got another van, and they cleaned it up, fixed it up, did maintenance on it, sent it out, and got another van load of kids and brought them all in. And started busing kids in from all over the county, and that's how where they got the name Church on the Move, because they had a, a huge, they had, they had an unbelievable fleet of vans, and then vans grew into buses, and they had vans and buses going all over Tulsa, Oklahoma, picking up kids, bringing them in, and then guess what? This was a this was a stroke of genius right there, that, that just so happened that every one of those kids had at least two parents. Now, Dad might not might not have been all in the family. Do you understand? It takes two. Last time I checked, it took two people to make a baby. And guess what? Same thing that the Lord spoke to him. God spoke to us. If you can get the children, you'll get the families. And that's our niche. That's part of our vision. That's something that I, as a pastor, I have to stay passionate about it. I mean, it's something when I'm praying and believing God for finances to come in that I got to pray and believe God for finances to come in to accommodate getting a van to get kids. I gotta believe God that we can have we can have the money that when we have special services for kids in here, we've got money for decorations and snacks and to feed all those kids. Amen. That's part of the vision, and I'm not gonna let up on that. Okay, the family block parties. This is the thing. Can we tweak it? Can it be better than what it was? Yeah, it can. Can we advertise? Can we try to get more people? Yeah. And so that's where the the, the division. I'm keeping the. You understand? I'm keeping the vision before you. We're going to reach families. We're going to reach people through reaching their kids. And I got to keep that vision before you. So why? So you can run with it. So that when people come into the church and people are sitting down and we take up an offering, I say, hey, we need a little extra money for uh, such and such outreach that we're doing to reach some families in, in the city. We're doing this to reach people. This is part of our vision. This is part of our DNA here at Anchor Faith Church. It's part of the vision that God's given us to reach the city. And, I, and when I keep that vision before people, that we're digging a little bit deeper. We're giving a little bit more. And you understand, I'm not telling you to do anything that I don't do. Huh? I'm not, but that's my part is to is to present the vision, amen. The Pete, you have to know the vision before you can run with it, right? Well, that verse eight it said that the one who reads the vision may run, amen. You've got to know, amen. I remember when I was I remember when I was in high school, the, uh, the we had a PE coach that was the junior varsity football coach. <clears throat> His first name was Howie, and I'm telling you what, the guy he was absolutely you'd have thought he was a shaved ape. I mean, he was absolutely built like a gorilla. I mean, he was he was about six foot tall and about two hundred and twenty eight, two hundred thirty pounds. I mean, and this and this is back when the dude was forty, and and he was just built like a gorilla. I mean, his arm probably had about twenty three inch biceps, probably had about a fifty two inch chest and about a thirty eight inch waist, and he could still go into the gym when he's forty years old. He'd go in, take three hundred fifteen pounds, and pop off about fifteen or twenty reps with it. And they said he was a freak when he was in high school. And he and he played he played high school football, Buffalo High School, the same high school I went to, and then he was coaching there as as an adult. But he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box. How many of y'all know what I mean? They said actually when they'd call play, said the quarterback when the quarterback handed him the ball, they said literally they they would tell the quarterback would tell him which direction to run when he handed him the ball. Because this is the thing. Just point him in the right direction, and the guy was strong as an ox. He was fast. I mean, in high school, he was about 210 pounds, 210, 215 pounds, and absolutely was a strong guy. I mean, they said he was, it was freaky strong how strong he was. That he'd go in the weight room, and guys would be scared of him because he'd just go in, grab you know, 45 pound plate, pick it up with one hand, stick it on a rack, you know, grab a couple, grab a hundred pound plate, stick it up on something. The guy was a freak, but the thing was, they had to point him in the direction to run. 
If they could just get him pointed in the right direction and get him and get him running in the right direction, boy, you'd have spectacular results. And there wasn't anybody that could stop him. Well, this is the thing: is I believe that we've got people in this church that if I, as a pastor, can just point you in the right direction and say run. And I'm not saying that you're dumb. I'm not saying you're not the sharpest pencils in the box. What I'm saying is, is it's depend- just like a coach has to call the plays on a football team for the team to execute. That's the role of the pastor. That's the role of the keeper of the vision. If I can keep the vision before you and point you in the direction to run and say, run that way, Howie, then I know you're going to break through the line. You're going to bust the linebacker in the mouth and roll him, and then the poor little old safety's going to be back there shaking his cleats going, God, I hope he don't hit me. If I can get you going in the right direction. Amen? So, and, and you understand this. The, the people have to embrace the vision with a passion. We have to be passionate about this. You want some, You know this. You want to belong to something that is significant and makes a difference. You want to belong to something that's bigger than the company that you work for. You want to belong to something that's bigger to, than, a, than a country club. You want to belong to something that's... you know. Bigger than the Cocoa Puffs fan club, whatever it is. You want to be a part of something that is significant, that has a vision to change people's lives, that has a vision to take people and to minister to them and teach them what God's Word says they can be. And you want to be a part of something that has the the desire and the ability to encourage people to take all the gifts and talents in their life and this thing, die empty. What do you mean die empty, Pastor? I mean you don't go to the graveyard with anything in reserve, that you've spent your whole life to the maximum and used every gift in you to its fullest potential that God's placed in you to make the world a better place because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you know that you want to be a part of that. Everybody everybody wants to be a part of the, the winning team. Everybody wants to be a, a fan of something that does successful, right? That's why they kicked Bobby Bowden to the curve and they put Jimbo Fisher in, right? Because everybody down in Tallahassee wants to be, they remember the glory days of being a part of a winning program. And a program that was a, was a potential national contender every year. Why? Because people like to be a part of something that has a vision, has a purpose, and is headed toward a goal. Amen? So, but you understand the people have to embrace the vision, and the people have to run with the vision. The visionary can't be the, cannot do all the running. The vision, now you understand that the visionary, the keeper of the vision, runs with the people because this is the thing. I have to run with the vision. I have to, you know, I have to be the biggest cheerleader around when we do something. I gotta be the one, if there's work to be done, I gotta be the one, I gotta be part of it, doing it right along too. Why? Because I have to embrace the vision too. I have to do the vision. But you understand, that it's a whole lot easier when there's a whole lot of, and we got great workers here. Man, we got people, man, glory to God, we got people that came out here and was out in the sun for five and a half hours yesterday. Amen? Working hard, actually probably closer to six because it was about 11 when we started setting stuff up and five before we got done. And me and Clarence were the only ones that got in the water with the kids. <laughs> and all the rest of them had to sit out in the heat. Amen? Glory to God. See, that's, what you, that's why you need to just be as much a part of this stuff as you can. Man. You, where else are you going to get to see Clarence wearing shorts and a tank top sliding down the big kahuna? Glory to God. We should have got that on videotape. Amen? That's something else. Pray God. But you understand the people have to run with a vision. The third thing. Third duty of the keeper of the vision is be faithful to the vision. And you understand, I'm talking about my role as the keeper of the vision. I have to be faithful to the vision that God's given us. I can't be distracted. Numbers are up, numbers are down. I've got to try to keep my focus on what did God say? What did God say to do? Amen? And, and, and try my best to manage my emotions as a, as a man that when you see things, do they look like, well, you know, don't look that great. Well, what did God say? Just keep doing what God said doing. Just keep going that direction. Just keep doing it. Amen? I've, you know, and I try to give you all these examples to help you relate. So, you know, I've been on, I've, I've been on, uh, uh, on diets before that, um, you know, you go on it and you start doing it. And you start you, know, you eat and you go a week, you go two weeks and you eat the way the thing said to eat. And you're just like, where's the results? Step on the scale every day and you're, and you're like stomping the scale. These things are broke. <laughs> things ain't working, glory to God. Because you remember you're just like, my God, I ate, I ate one hard-boiled egg, a piece of wheat toast, and two sticks of celery yesterday. Don't you tell me I didn't lose weight! Huh? And you do it, and you do it, and, and this thing, you know, uh, you know this uh, one time I was on this particular plan, and Pastor Shane, she made this dish, uh, it's called uh, eggplant parmesan. 
and you didn't bread it or anything. You just, you know, you fried, you, you fried the eggplant in olive oil, and you made like a lasagna with, you know, you had to make, you had to make the sauce from scratch because it couldn't have sugar in it. And so she made the sauce and, and, and ate and put she, and man, it was wonderful. Woo, man, it was good. I thought, man, glory to God, if this is diet food, you know, sign me up for life. And I went and stepped on scales the next day, and it said I'd gained a pound and a half. I was like, what's up with that? Portions are right, eating the right food. What's going on with that? You know, what's going on there? Well, this particular dish is kind of, she the first couple of times she made she made it a little bit too salty because you have to sweat the eggplant. You put some salt on it and let it wick some of the moisture out, and then you rinse rinse the salt off. And she'd put a little bit too much salt on it. Well, y'all know what salt does, right? Makes you retain water. So I stepped on the scales the next morning, and like I said, it said you gained a pound and a half. I was like, what? But guess what? Had the eating plan, had the menu, ate that ate that day. You know, counting peanuts. Dear God, 20 peanuts. One, two, three, four, five. 20 peanuts. I'm like, what's 20 peanuts? It's like 30, you know. I can't buy the handful, right? But I had the vision. I had the plan. And I ate the plan that day. And then guess what? Woke up the next morning and the salt was cut back. Salt was cut back. Water intake was up a day. Stepped on the scales the next day. Lost four pounds. What's the point, Pastor? My point is is that when you have the goal, you have the vision, even when it looks like you're not getting the results that you want, part of the responsibility of the keeper of the vision is just keep on going. That's, you know, why can I stand up if, if the room's full and preach, uh, preach my heart out? If the room's not full, preach my heart out. Why? Because I've got the responsibility of ministering the Word to the people, keeping the vision before people, and even though I... I you know, figuratively speaking, I'm stepping on the scales and not seeing the results I want. i got to stick with the plan. Amen? And keep working the plan. Amen? Now, you understand this. Being faithful to the vision means don't get distracted. I can't afford to get distracted. The, the keeper of the vision cannot afford to be distracted. Number two, you've got to confront things that threaten the vision. That's why they're the keeper or the guardian of the vision. When something comes in, when something comes in that's affecting my people... When something comes in that is affecting me, something comes in that's affecting church, I've got to confront stuff. And that doesn't mean that you don't, that you don't love people. It doesn't mean that, that, you know, that you've got a chip on your shoulder. Just, you understand you can confront something without, without being a jerk, right? You can, you can confront issues without being a jerk by stuff. But it, you understand that as the keeper of the vision, I have to be faithful to the vision. And you understand, God has... The Bible says, let's read that verse again. Verse 3 says, For the vision's yet for an appointed time. Amen? The vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens towards its goal and it will not fail, though it tarries weight on it. Amen? You, under, you understand that the vision's for an appointed time. This church has a purpose. This church has a purpose. I've met a pastor in this town one time, and the first time I met him, he pastors one of the largest churches in the city. The first time I met him was after church one night at a restaurant. And he and I were talking, and I began to share with him one of the visions that the Lord showed me while we were praying about Valdosta, Georgia. And I told him, I said, that, that I saw what looked like a radar map and what looked like a hurricane in the eye of it right over Valdosta, Georgia, swirling, and the Lord speaking and saying, a stirring in the Spirit, a stirring in the Spirit. And when I told that pastor that, his mouth fell open. He looked at me and he said, you're the third person in the past three months to tell me the exact same thing amen god's called us here this church has a purpose to ignite the city impact the nation and influence the world this church god has a plan you understand that what we see right now is not what god's ultimate plan is and and this is the thing if we fixate if i i'm gonna tell you what because if i started fixating too much when problems rose up huh man glory to god i'd be like getting a realtor and getting a u-haul and we can't afford to do that as a church. And, and we gotta, and we gotta make sure, we gotta keep a check in our spirit and make sure, you know, are we still on task? Are we still hooked up with the vision? Or have we checked out? Have we taken an attitude where, well, let's just see how this thing works out? And you understand this is that we've got people, we need to encourage people in our congregation. We need to encourage people in our congregation that are just kinda, that they've taken this set back and wait and see if, see if it lasts kind of thing. How many of y'all know that a boat can go down while people are waiting to see if anybody's going to plug the hole? Huh? 
We need, we need to stay active. God's got, God did, has got a purpose for this particular church body in this city at this time. Amen? God, you understand this? Then you need to realize that you as an individual, us as a church corporately, God has a plan for us. You as an individual, you have a kingdom purpose that's more than just your work or your school or even your family. Some people don't want to realize this. You need to understand, this isn't Brian Adkins' church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God owns this church. And whether people like to admit this or not, your faithfulness to your church is a reliable indicator of your faithfulness to God. I just don't know how else to say it. A lot of people, some people don't get upset at passion, but I'm just telling you, if God calls you to join yourself to a body, and God says, join yourself to this body, and bring your gifts, and bring your talents, and make yourself available to it. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor's not getting anal and saying, every time I have an event, everybody needs to be here, or you ain't hooked up. I'm not saying that. You know what? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, though, but you need to realize that this, your service to the church sometimes... You're going to have to say, you know, I'd like to have some extra time to spend with my family, but at this particular moment, God needs me to do something with this vision that He's called me to be a part of. And guess what? You don't do it begrudgingly because you realize that's a part of your giving. Right? That's part of your giving. And God loves a cheerful giver. Because this is the thing. If you just go through the motions begrudgingly, then guess what? You're forfeiting your your your, your privilege to reap off of the harvest of that time that you're sowing. If you're like, oh, well, we got something going to church. Oh, bless God, I don't want to go, but we got to go show up. Then guess what? You're not a cheerful giver, and you can't expect to receive off that because it's a seed that you're sowing begrudgingly. It's a seed of your time that you're begrudging to give. Amen? You need to realize this is the thing. God, God wants us to be sold out to the vision He's called us to do. God, and we need to realize that you have a purpose in the kingdom. Do you know right now, you sitting in this building right now, you have gifts and talents that, that, that you have the ability to allow to flow out of you in a way that nobody else in the world does. Just as unique as your fingerprints are. You know that? Think about that. Your fingerprints. Nobody else in the world. See, over six billion heads they've counted. One, two, three, four. Over six billion that we know of. Now give me a break. They ain't going into the mountains of Mongolia. They ain't going into the heart of the Amazon. They just guessing. They guessing that there's six billion. They're probably closer to eight billion people on the planet. What? Well, I'm just guessing. I can guess just as good as they can, right? But I'll guarantee you there's more than six billion people and nobody has the same fingerprints. You realize that the gifts and the talents and the anointing that God's placed in you is unique to you. Oh, somebody else might be able to do something similar, but they can't do it exactly the way that you can. And if God's called you here and joined you to this ministry, He knows that He's put the, the, what He's put in you is unique and that this body needs it and that nobody else can do it the way that you can. Nobody else can allow that gift to flow out of them the way that you can. And so you're unique and you understand this. Esther 4.14. Esther 4.14. You're familiar with the story of Esther? You know that uh, Mordecai had a plan against the Jews. He was going to have them uh, killed. It was, while the, it was while the Jews were in captivity in, in, in the Persian Empire. And Esther was a, uh, was a Jewish woman that had been taken and the king had made her his wife. And when they found out of, of Mordecai's plans to destroy the Jews, amen, her uncle uh, Haman... He he uh, he confronted, uh, or excuse me, Mordecai was the uncle Haman plotted to destroy the Jews, and Esther's uncle Mordecai came to her because she had this position as of queen. She had access to the king, and he said, "You know what? We need you to interfere." And she was, you know, we need you to go on to the king on our behalf. Because why? Because she had a she had a privilege and a prerogative that not everybody in the kingdom had. Because she had access to the king. And she was a little reluctant. And Esther 4.14, her uncle Mordecai uh, told her, said, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come, into the, come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen? I want to read, I, I want to read it to you out of the New American Standard Version. 
It says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and your, you, you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Do you understand that God, that you have been placed in a royal position? And you understand this, and I'm not busting on anybody's church, I'm busting on philosophy. You know there's some churches that you can go to that they're going to teach you, oh, you're just an old sinner saved by grace, you're just an old worm, you're not worthy, blah, 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 God did you a favor, and they're going to talk you down. But I'm going to talk you up and try to get you to realize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when you made Him Lord, and you became born again, you were a new creature in Christ Jesus, you became not just a servant, but you became a son of the living God. The Spirit of God that dwells in you, you're able to cry out, Abba, Father, and that literally means Daddy. You can cry out, Daddy, Father. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. Amen? And you need to realize, you have a royal position. And this is the thing, let's just put it this way. When Mordecai was talking to Esther, he said, look, he said, if you don't step up to the challenge, if you don't step up for what is placed before you, that this opportunity to do something, to make a difference for people, and to bring deliverance to Jews, it'll come from someplace else. But you and your house will perish. Anchor Faith Church of Valdosta. Huh? If we don't step up to the challenge, God wants to do something in this city. And if we don't step up the chance, and you understand there's other churches that are doing things, they're fulfilling the vision that God's given them, and it's all a different facet of, of what God wants to do in the city. But what God wants to do through this church and what God wants us to do, if we don't step up to the plate and do it, and if we're not, if the vision's not being cast and we're not embracing the vision and running with it, guess what? Deliverance for this city will come from someplace else. God will get it and God will get what He wants to do. God is going to do what God wants to do in this city whether we hook up with it and run or not. And this is the thing though. Just like He said to Esther, He said, don't make no mistake about it. If you're silent and you don't do it and you don't step up at this time, then guess what? Deliverance is going to come from someplace else, but you and your house will perish. If this church, if we can't step up and and see the vision, embrace the vision, be passionate about it, and run with it to to allow God through us to release what He wants to into this city, then we in our house might as well just perish, right? Because Valdosta is full of dead churches. Valdosta is full of church. I've said this before. Valdosta is full of great churches. I have met some tremendous men of God that their style of ministry is so much different than mine, but they are tremendous. God's using them. They've got a vision. I've got a vision for ministry here in this town. But Valdosta is full of great churches that are a blessing to this city. Valdosta is also full of sorry churches that would be doing Jesus and the city a favor just to shut down. You say, that sounds, that sounds awful harsh, Pastor. I'm just telling you, if you're not preaching the Word, you're doing more harm than you're doing good. Amen? But you understand, God wants to do something here. And God wants to use us to fulfill our part. Because just like you as an individual are unique in how you do stuff and how God's gift flows through you, this church is unique among churches in how we corporately flow together and we affect the city. Amen? You understand Understand this, is that though it tarries, wait for it. If things are not happening as quickly as you expect, don't get discouraged and quit. You know, we've had some, I've had people in the past six months here say, Oh, Pastor, I just don't know why we can't grow. I just can't figure out why we're not growing. And I've had to bite my tongue. Because sometimes the people that are asking the questions... You could, give them a, you could give them an answer and do it in love and they'd still get offended. I just don't understand. Some of them, some of them have left the church. So, and this is the Oh, it just ain't grown as quick as I thought it would. I've, there, there's actually people that have left because the church wasn't growing as fast as they thought it should. Who is it, Pastor? I ain't telling you. It ain't none of your business. Amen? Ain't no your business. But we've had people that left just because, well, it ain't growing as fast as well. Why? Because they, instead of following, because they were never hooked up with the vision, just something new started in town. Oh, a little church meeting over in the conference area, or a little church meeting over in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the hotel. And they come and they want to be a part of something new and thought that, ooh, we're going to get in there and it's just going to blow up and take off like a, and we're going to be able to say, I was there when the bomb went off. Huh? They weren't hooked up with a vision. They weren't hooked up with a vision. And you understand this, is that 
this is the thing. Is that disappointing to me as a pastor? Is it disappointing to me when, when I pour my heart out to love people and to go out of my way to do good for people and to do all I can to, to help folks? And, and I'm telling you, there's stuff, and I ain't saying this to honk my own horn. I'm not. I'm, this is the thing. I will say this. I can tell you what I've done, and I can tell you that I've been good to people, and I can also tell you this, that just like the Bible says over in the book of Luke, that I, all I can say to God is, is I'm an unprofitable servant, and I've only done that which is required of me. Okay? But I'll tell you this. Don't you think it's disappointing when you do all that you can for people and you go way out of your way for stuff that isn't even really required for you as a pastor? to do for folks, and then people, you know, they'll walk out, they'll badmouth you, you know, they leave the church, and, you know, and, and they won't even come to you and talk to you about, you know, what's going on, and, and you've sat down and you've told people, look, if there's issues, come talk to me. Come talk to me, let me know. Because like I said, I've told, and I'm perfectly, you know, I'm just one of the people I'm honest enough to say is, I'm perfectly capable of making mistakes. I'm perfectly capable of doing stuff in complete ignorance that someone could take offense from and not even mean to. And if somebody doesn't communicate with me, hey, Pastor, you know, you did this, and I, I really felt like, you know, that you were kind of dissing me or something like that. Well, I don't know. If I don't know, I mean, if I don't know, I mean, this is the thing. Tell, tell me about it. If I have, then, hey, I'm going to apologize. If I haven't, give me a break. Give a, give a hillbilly boy a break. <laughs> Amen. And just say, not head, don't even know he did it. Not had walked past me in Walmart and didn't speak and didn't even realize they missed me because he was just sitting through his brain going over a grocery list. Amen? Do you understand this? Is that don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when, when people leave. Don't be discouraged. Because this thing, you know, people going to leave. People aren't, you know, this is the thing. A church is really about like running a bus route. You're going to make stops and some people are going to get on, some people are going to get off. Right? Amen? And so this thing, you just realize, the, but this is the thing. You know this about a bus route? A bus route will stop at stops where people don't even get on. A bus will stop at stops where people don't even get off. Why? Because what the people do doesn't determine the route of the bus. That's predetermined. The dispatcher, there's routes that are set up. And the bu- and they say the bus is going to go here, 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 and here, and this is the time. And with and when it stops and the door opens, if nobody gets off, it still has to make the stop. If it stops and nobody gets on, it still had to make its scheduled stop. Why? Because the bus doesn't run based on the the response of the people. The bus runs on a predetermined route. The church stops and goes and runs its course and follows the vision. And whether people when people get on, people get off. Whether people get off or on, it doesn't matter. The church, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, the church follows the vision. Amen? And we just keep going and believe God that in the long run that, that progress comes. You understand this? Is don't let, don't let disappointments distract you. Amen? Galatians 5 7. This is out of the Amplified Bible. It says, You were running the race nobly. Who has interfered in, hindered, and stopped you from heeding and following the truth? And let's just look at that word truth there and let's pretend like, let's just say, the vision that God's given us. Amen? You were running good. We were running good. And this is the thing. Churches talk about whether you want to confess and believe God for it or not. Every pastor I know will tell you there's a thing called a summer slump. Weather gets warm, kids are out of school, people go on vacation more often, people decide it, it, it's, you know, they'd rather go to, go to the lake, go to the beach, go to the mountains, whatever, than go to church on Sunday. And you look around as a pastor, you look around as a congregation, you look around as someone that's excited to be a part of a church and part of the vision that God's called us to do here, and you start deciding, you know what? What's the use, man? People leaving. Rats are jumping the ship. It's taking water. <laughs> I ain't saying people are rats, but you understand the illustration. That's how they knew the ship was going down back in the back in the old days. If they knew the ship was going down, and rats started jumping overboard, amen. How many of y'all know the ship's not going down? The vision's still there. The vision, the vision is there, amen. And so, don't be discouraged. You were running good. You were doing stuff. You were hooked up. You were passionate. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Amen? Understand this, Hebrews 12.1, Therefore then, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses 
who have borne the testimony of the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, an unnecessary weight, and the sin which is so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And this is the farce that we want here. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that's set before us. Amen? We have a vision. We have a mandate from God to ignite the city, to impact the nation, to influence the world. And this is the thing. You run patient. You run patient and you run with endurance. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Things that blow up real big overnight can blow out real quick overnight, right? Say, what are you building over there? We're building foundations. There's people in this church right now that I can tell you that I know for a fact that people have known them. They, in the past year and a half or so that they've been hooked up with this ministry, that they are getting a very solid foundation laid in their life in the Word. And change is taking place in people's lives because they're hearing the Word, they're putting the Word to work. They say, what are you doing? We're building foundations in people. We're building foundations. It's like Pastor Lafayette Scales from up in Columbus, Ohio. Pastor up in Columbus said one time, said somebody asked him because his church started out, you know, he's got a church with thousands and thousands of members now, but for several years it was just a small handful of people. And then somebody asked him, said, what are you all doing over there at Rama Rama Life Church? And he said, we're building foundations. And so they were making fun of him because they knew it was a small church. They said, really, how long does it take to build a foundation? And he said, it depends. And they said, it depends on what? He said, whether you're building an outhouse or a skyscraper. Because if you're just throwing up an outhouse, you can, just chuck, you can just put a couple of rocks down and put your posts on and start building. It don't take much of a foundation for an outhouse, does it? But if you're building a skyscraper, you understand you've got to dig deep. And you've got to work hard. And you've got to lay some foundations. And, you gotta, and it takes time to pour foundations. I said this out, out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when they built Raymond Bible Church, they worked on the foundation for almost a year. Just on the foundation. Pouring piers of concrete that were uh, 12 foot across and 75 foot down in the ground and packed full of rebar. Because they had to build piers in, concrete piers into the ground. And it took them over a year just to prepare the foundation. They're out there working, digging holes, driving rebar, pouring concrete, moving dirt, and everybody's driving by. For a year, they're out there doing something. Looks like they're just going through the motions. What are they doing? Just pushing the dirt around? They ain't nothing. I don't see nothing going up. And then all of a sudden, when the foundation was laid, boom, 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 stuff started popping up. Amen? And they got a huge church building out there. Now, what are you talking about? Now, I'm using the, the, comparing a building. You understand the church ain't the building. The church is the people. And I'm not talking about a big building. I'm talking about a church of mature believers whose, whose life and faith and beliefs are based on the Word. We know who we are. We know what the Word says. And we're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. That we make decisions based on the Word. That we're the people of utmost integrity. We are people who are excited about God. We're people who are excited about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're people who are going to tell you, look, I don't know what your experience tells you, but the God I serve still heals. Amen. And I'm going to pray for you. Well, what if they don't get healed? Guess what? God didn't change. Word didn't fail. I'm going to keep... What if everybody... Is, let me ask you something. Has everybody you've ever asked to, uh, to get born again ever made, made Jesus their Lord? Of course not. So let's just apply the same logic. Well, since everybody doesn't get saved, we may as well just stop preaching salvation. Well, that sounds ridiculous, don't it? You'd think a pastor is ridiculous. Well, everybody ain't getting saved, so I'm just going to stop preaching about getting born again. That'd be ridiculous. So why do we want to take that mindset when it comes to people getting healed? Well, I prayed for him, and not everybody I ever prayed, laid hands on prayed for got healed, so I'm just going to stop teaching about healing. It's ridiculous. Amen? We need to be excited about it. You need to realize this real quick. Using your gifts and your talent uh, benefits the entire body. Romans 12, 6-8, this is the contemporary English version. God has also given each of us different gifts to use. If we can prophesy, we should do it according to the amount of faith we have. If we can serve others, we should serve. If we can teach, we should teach. If we can encourage others, we should encourage them. If we give, we should be generous. If we are leaders, we should do our best. And if we are good to others, we should do it cheerfully. And it's real interesting here, and for the sake of, of keeping this brief, I'm just, you realize that it, that it puts prophesying and serving and teaching and encouraging and giving money and giving in the same category. 
Do you understand that when, when you give, that that is a spiritual thing? There is a spiritual side to your giving. Amen? Understand this. Minister your gift. Amen? And this is familiar. We've read this. Ephesians 4, 16. <clears throat> this is out of Amplified. For because of Him, the whole body, the church, and its various parts are closely joined and firmly knit together by joints and ligaments uh, which it supplied. When each part uh, with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its functions, the church grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. <clears throat> Amen? This is the thing. When the vision <clears throat> when the vision is written, when the vision is proclaimed, when the vision is put forth, and when the people will embrace the vision and people run with the vision and people are passionate about the vision, this is the thing. And you bring your gifts and you make it available to the church, what your gift is, this is the thing. That's when growth occurs. That's when the church is going to grow. That's when we're going to have maturity in the body. And that is, is that when we've, and it's when we've all got the vision, we've embraced the vision, and we're running with it and making ourselves available to it. Amen? This is the thing. I'm going to tell you, I just I want everybody to know how much I appreciate everything that everybody's done. All that you're doing, all that you've done, and this is the thing. You know, sometimes you, you get weary. Life will throw... How many of y'all have figured out, it, it didn't take a genius to figure out, that life can throw stuff at you just to wear you down? And this is, a, this is the thing. You know what? If you need to sit in the dugout for a while, sit in the dugout and know that there's no condemnation for it. You understand that? Does everybody hear Pastor clearly? If you have to sit down in the dugout for a while, there is no condemnation. This is the thing. Sit in the dugout, cool off, get yourself refreshed, get recuperated, and then when the time is, when you feel refreshed when, and, and you can do it, man, just get back out of the dugout and get back out there and get up to bat and just knock one out of the park. Because we've got great people in this church. We've got people in this church body right now that don't even, don't, have not even really got an inkling of all that is in them and the gift that is in you that, that is, because this is the thing, we're sitting on a gold mine. Realize that? We are sitting in a gold mine of people. Because you realize, we've got people in this church that, you know, and I'm just going to, you know, I'll name names, just so it, not to embarrass people. It's like Brother Jimmy. Think about the influence Brother Jimmy's got. Sales manager at, the, at a Fortune 500 company, one of the largest retailers in town, and couldn't tell you how many people does he come in contact with on a daily basis. And God wants to use him to, to minister life to people. Brother Eddie works in a, in a, in a business where, <laughs> praise God, he, a lot of times he has to be the conscience of his boss. Tremendous. And Eddie gets an opportunity to minister to people that I'll never minister to. Jimmy gets an opportunity to minister to people. Martha, man, bless God, she's everywhere. <laughs> she, she, you're in the nursing home, you see Martha. You go to the hospital, you see Martha. You go to Walmart, you see Martha. I don't know. You might, I haven't seen Martha at Walmart. Amen. Sister Rosemary, Brother Clarence, Brother Chuck, everybody, everybody in here, you have an opportunity to influence people in your daily lives that I never come in contact with. And you just need to realize that the, 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 the world needs you. The church needs you, but the world needs the gift that's in you. Amen? And so don't sell yourself short. Amen? And, and, I, and I thank God for everyone that He's called to be a part of this vision. And guess what, guys? For everybody that's sitting in here that God's called to be a part of this particular vision, there's a whole lot more of them out there that aren't in here that God's called to be a part of this vision, and we get the, we get the opportunity to get them and bring them in. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You for...